0: Welcome to another installment of the Hints for Healing podcast, discussions where we hope to highlight the diverse interventions and pathways towards the psychological recovery um, of young people with a refugee experience. Um, This podcast is, of course, brought to you by the School Liaison Program at the New South Wales Service for the Treatment and Rehabilitation of Torture and Trauma Survivors starts. My name is Sean Emorin. And um, I am a host of this show. um, And had you have listened to the last few episodes, um, you would have heard my colleague, Nicole Leur, and we will be sharing hosting responsibilities and um, and perhaps a few others um, in the team might do so as well in the future. Um, before I begin, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which I record this today from, um, and I'm standing on Bidjigal land, and uh, I wish to pay my respects to Elders past, present, um, and to those emerging, and can I also extend my respect to any Aboriginal person who might be listening in, in the podcast in the future. Um this acknowledgement of country is particularly pertinent given the guest for today's show, who is um, a good friend of mine, um, called Suean Hunter, um, and at the time of this recording was the interim CEO of Snake, which is the national voice for Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander young people and children. Um, she is a proud Wurund- Wurundjeri um, and. Gurai Ilum Rung, woman, um, a psychotherapist, a clinical and cultural consultant who is committed to self determination, advocating for the rights of Aboriginal children, young people, and families, and to strengthening culture within families and in Aboriginal communities as well. Um, Suan has worked in the um, Aboriginal child and welfare sector for some 20 years. Um, She previously had oversight of all the cultural clinical healing services at VACA, which is a Victorian Aboriginal childcare and was the central point for the development of an integrated culturally appropriate and trauma-informed approach. Suen is also an experienced um, psychotherapist Um, in multiple therapeutic interventions, and brings a cultural lens to her therapeutic work, including Aboriginal healing wisdom when working with um, Aboriginal community children and families. She's furthermore an experienced EMDR practitioner, and we'll be talking a little bit about that during the discussion. Um, I think importantly, we um, we talk about the intersections between trauma work amongst Aboriginal young people and those with a refugee experience. Um, we discuss the cross narratives and perhaps a role in which welcome and connection to this new land involves an understanding of these ancient cultures and history. Um, it, it was truly my honour to talk about these things, and I guess it's relevant to my own experience as a second generation migrant and my own sense of belonging. An unpacking of my self-perception of Australianness, so to speak, which in many ways was rendered more secure through association with Aboriginal Australia. And during the talk, I will allude to some of that um, and my time spent with mob in Central Australia on Warramungu country. Um, I guess it's, it's not an uncommon story among some migrants seeking a sense of place in Australia and yet who might struggle to identify with the dominant cultural narrative. Um, I'm not really one to wax lyrical before these discussions, and I try to keep these introductions as brief as possible, yet I wanted to lastly introduce a piece of music to segue into the podcast. Eric Avery is a friend of starts and is an acclaimed musician. A proud Giampa, Yuen, Banjalang, and Gumbanya artist, As part of his practice, Eric plays the violin, dances and composes music. Working with his family's custodial songs, he seeks to revive and continue an age old legacy, continuing the tradition of singing in his tribe, utilizing his talents to combine and create an experience of his people's culture. Eric has given us permission to use this piece of music and you will find parts of it fused into future podcasts, um, and this one as well. The piece of music is the second movement of his composition entitled Violin Landscapes. Eric indicates that the composition is based around his memories of playing violin in many different spaces and rooms, and exclaims that it is almost like a meditation for him, like a meditation on his violin playing since he was young. Uh, The folky feel um, is what he used to try to access in his late teenage years. He hopes you enjoy and thank you. And thank you to you, Eric. We really appreciate it. So hello, Um, yeah, so today we're with an old friend of mine, Sue-Ann Hunter, and uh, admittedly I've been quite impressed with your work for some time. Um, And I'm really interested in hearing some of your views on um, the healing journey of young people. Um, So perhaps we can start um, by you telling us a little bit about yourself and how um, you came to this place where you're at now.
1: Thanks for inviting me on, firstly. Um, And secondly, um, i just like to acknowledge um, my elders and ancestors of where I get my knowledge from. It's not just academia. It's that knowledge that's passed down as well. So um, it's not all of my own. It's, you know, all the people that I work with, um, the other Aboriginal people I work with and and my family, my elders and ancestors. So I like to acknowledge them as well because it's not all mine. And um, I guess, you know, that, that passing down of knowledge is really important for us as Aboriginal people. So I'm saying now I'm a I'm a Wurundjeri woman um, from Melbourne. Uh, and um, I've been brought up uh, with culture in my life, most of most of pretty much of, of my life. Um, we were um, sort of, I guess, um, when the the you know uh, the frontier wars were on, we were um there was 15 Wurundjeri left, um roughly around 15. So pretty much nearly extinct uh and then we all descend now from one woman uh Mm -hmm. Annie Barat. um so we're very proud you know of that we've been able to sort of you know make this comeback and introduce our culture back into um society Uh, so sort of my journey um I wasn't really impressed with school didn't really like it at all so I probably left about year 10 Mm -hmm. um and then just went and worked uh just different jobs and then I um started as a caseworker with mm-hmm. no experience whatsoever um, in uh, Victorian Aboriginal Child Care Agency or VACA. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: and from then, I was there for 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah, and so did lots of study. Um, uh, yeah, lots of study, lots of fellowships. Um, just for me, it was understanding the trauma of our people. So working with, you know, our kids in care mm-hmm. um, it really struck a chord of what, um, you know, we we're really blessed. And that, you know, our family was was kept together um, and there's other families that weren't and, you know, we're dealing with the offset of that within the system, so dealing with the system and our kids in out-of-home care. And I really wanted to understand what they were going through and so the way I did that was learn and unpack what that, what that sort of all means. Um, so I've sort of done my own journey of academia as well as uh, also part of... You know, they call it the dance group, but it's not actually a dance group. It's it's my family and they're called the um, Jiri Jiri dance group, mm-hmm. but it's more than that. So it's all my cousins and there's, you know, it's quite a few of us, probably about 15. We do ceremony, right. dance, singing language, um, lots of stuff, support systems, mm-hmm. pass down our stories, help raise our kids, just a, a whole lot of things that we've sort of brought back mm-hmm. that, um, you know, we lost due to colonisation. Mm-hmm. So, um, There's sort of two parallel journeys that intertwine yeah. together. So I take that with my knowledge of trauma and combine them both. Um, and you know, I know my set of skills are quite unique. So uh, you know, I enjoy unpacking, unpacking everything, and then putting it back together in a way that works uh, mm-hmm. for our mob. So,
0: and the yeah. the jiri the jiris is this this. Um, did you grow up with this or is this something that...
1: No. Um, so my, uh, my cousin, um, Mandy Nicholson, she started at about probably about five or six years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And so her daughters, um, she uh, was doing language then. So um, we didn't have language and there's no one still who fluently speaks Woiwurrung, uh, which is our language. Mm-hmm. And so she was working um, in a language space so what we've done is rather than saying, you know, we're reviving them, we're actually waking it up because we haven't really lost it. This is about waking up. So waking up the language. Um, so she sings uh, in language mm-hmm. and um, my daughter sings with her in language. So it's beautiful. It's great to see. Um, and her daughters create the dances that go with that. Because most of our dance and song has been lost, um, we look at what what we previously had. And it's a bit of an adaptation because, you know, culture's ever changing and it's not yes. going to stay the same. Um, and so, actually, the other day, someone said to me, um, We were doing some filming. She said, Oh, that's different. And I said, Oh, what do you mean? Because I'm used to the stomping. And I said, Well, that's the understanding of the stomping's the men. Mm-hmm. And so, for the women, they're quite soft on the ground and, and, and fluid sort of motion. And, um, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, because the men are so vibrant and out there, that, that that's what people assume
0: culture is, um, mm-hmm. cultural dances, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I confess to having observed some of the dances of the Jiri the Jiris and, you know, um, they're quite quite beautiful. And I mean, I, I can't, you know, I, I obviously don't profess to to know what it might, must like, must be like to, to experience that, to experience, you know, your own culture in those contexts. But, you know, I, I, I see, big smiles I, I see freedom in expression and freedom you know um you know as, as as people are engaging in their um in their you know cultural practices maybe you might like to talk to that as well
1: yeah I think um knowing uh therapy and knowing you know all the sort of neurobiology of the brain and mm-hmm. when you actually look at uh cultural dance and uh, and you most cultures have dance you know yes. and song and it's rhythmic pattern repetitive and that's what you want to heal yes. the brain right that's what bruce perry talks about in, mm-hmm. you know in a lot of his theory so when you are doing that in family where you're safe
0: mm-hmm. on your
1: country like there's just this like you can sit there and write a big long list about it yeah. so you know we all know that we might feel like crap during the day and yeah. then we've got something on that night and we don't want to do it Mm-hmm. We actually make ourselves go because by the time we've finished it, we've been really safe with our family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we've we've practised culture. We've either sung or danced in our language.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and that rhythmic pattern repetitive, which has calmed us as well. And we all leave really in a, in a really good mood. So we know, we can see the effects, you know, um, straight away. Mm-hmm. And there's um, Dr. Michael Yellowbird, I'm not sure. Um,
0: yeah, I'm aware. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Absolutely. and he's done some study where they put electrodes on the on the brain mm-hmm. um, being and doing cultural um, practices
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and they give off the same as you would during a meditation
2: yeah
1: wow. so you can see you know that um, it works mm. you
0: know? it's something that really resonates with me a lot because you know my ancestors obviously from the island of Mauritius and and um, you know you had you know slaves who were brought from you know um, you know from different African um, areas by the French, and and these are my ancestors. Um, and they they establish a, a dance called sega, and everyone in Mauritius knows sega and, and dances sega. And I often find that you know when things become quite difficult for me, you know I would listen to you know sega and you just feel good afterwards you know you feel you feel happy you feel not just happy in the present but you'd also feel connected to something that um you know from the past you feel connected to your ancestors and you know it's fundamentally a dance that was established on the beach and with different music and and you know people dancing on the sand and connected to a particular area um And what, how I always do it in the same way that, you know, you're describing um, the, the dance of the jury is, is that, you know, it is fundamentally about healing. And maybe we can see that within that context, that your ancestors as well, it was about healing. Potentially it was about feeling connected to something that was a lot deeper, you know, a lot bigger than, than, than themselves.
1: Yeah, Yeah. well, you it just shows you're something, you're part of something bigger than just you. Mm. Um, but also um, our dances represent something and it's usually um, an animal. Yes. And jitty jitty means willy wagtail. Um, mm. And the thing to remember is that the willy wagtail or the jiri jiri in different um, Aboriginal languages or, or their own cultures, um, the willy wagtail isn't a good thing. Um, mm. And I was talking to a friend the other day and she said, oh, every time I see... Um, so if I see one, I'll video it. And I put it online and she said, I can't look at it because every time I see one, someone dies. So it's amazing how people interpret or what their stories are. So that's the other thing about um, Australians First Peoples is that the cultural, uh, I guess, understanding what elements are different on, depending on where you live
2: mm-hmm. and what
1: your story is. Yeah. Uh, so for us in Victoria, it's Bundle. Um, he's, a, he's the eagle. And he created all living things, um, and so he's our creator story. And if you go up to, say, Queensland and the waterways there, you've got the rainbow serpent. That's their story. So it is different where you go, and respecting those cultural differences, we have to as Aboriginal people. And yeah. and I think the more people understand, uh, you know, the song, the language, the stories are also so different. Um, but in saying that, also remembering, we need to be particularly when Uh, thinking about our mob is that all of Australia was colonised differently. Mm -hmm. So if you're working with Victorian mob, Tasmanian mob, right up to, say, Central Desert mob that still have language or still have, you know, there were things taken from those where colonisation started. So it all looked different as well now today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I guess based on that, um, you know, what what, what are some of the challenges that – that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people might face, you know, maybe in schools or um, in community and, um, you know, how might schools how might community better cater to their needs?
1: I think, um, uh, so our kids start two years behind when they start. It's just the statistics, two years behind when they start primary school. So they're actually not particularly ready. Lots of middle ear infections, so kids aren't hearing if it hasn't been picked up. Um, so all our kids start behind when they start school and, you know, I wasn't particularly great at school myself, but I was starting to get and understand, um, how, I think we need to remember that, um, I, you know, we were colonized in such a short period of time that our bodies and brains needed to adapt quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things in biology and things have changed in our brains and what have you. I think the other thing is we live in a racist society that doesn't cater to the needs of, um, our people that, um, you know, we're just not seen as uh, part of Australia, really. It's, um, you know, if you're different and you're not a white Australian, then you don't appear to fit in. So, um, you know, how do you make... It's about making an environment that's culturally safe.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then around that, then it's around, particularly in schools with other kids, Um you know, and kids are great. They don't see that colour or that difference. It's only as they get older do they see it. I think uh-huh. one, it's about creating a, a really safe space for kids to learn, all kids. Uh-huh. Um, and then it comes down to the cultural aspects of how you can introduce culture. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my daughter walked up to the school and was like, Mum, they've got our flag, they've got the courier flag there. Uh-huh. So, like, wow, you know, that invited uh-huh. her into the playground the first time, which was yeah, quite well- interesting. That going. So um, you know, just being able to have space to do things culturally as well. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much about the starting point isn't about the education as such.
2: Mm. The
1: starting point is about how safe you can make it for kids to feel comfortable enough to learn.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then how do you look at a curriculum that makes it culturally safe? Yes, You don't want to talk about Captain Cook, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what happened to me. I remember coming home going, Dad, did you know... Because you don't know what it means to be your nationality or Aboriginal or, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just part of who you are and you don't unpack that identity stuff until you start going through it a bit, sort of puberty and, like, who am I and where do I fit? Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, and it's just, I guess it's just about creating safe spaces as a starting mm-hmm. point.
0: Yeah, and I guess you mentioned some of the things that um, some schools might do, something quite simple, like having a flag outside and. And, and providing um, a sense of respect for, for the diversity within the, within the school. Um, and I suppose it's also about the, the narratives that, that are spoken as well, um, yeah. about you know, honest narratives in terms of the past, but, but, but also about um, narratives that, that would give honor and respect to cultural differences cultural strengths as well do you think that there's enough of that happening in schools
1: um no no not not at all i know they were about to start introducing um some other stuff into the curriculum which is which is great um, Mm. and understanding history um but uh there's you know we need to change a society or as a whole of how how accepting we are of people of all Mm. races and colors and we just um know the society's not at Mm. all um you know it's current um and uh, a little girl i was talking to her mum and she said oh mum is my blood different and she said what why why would your blood be different and she said oh um because she said um my teacher asked who has aboriginal blood and i said oh i do she goes and i'm like does that make my blood different like just being mindful of things you say kids in grade two and three you know are like, going, um, you know what kids are like so yeah. you know it's about teachers and and you know and then that's a whole saga because then that sets off time for the for the family mm-hmm. uh, as well so it's so tricky um just navigating but i think if you common sense and being really respectful mm-hmm. don't know ask that's the biggest thing i can if you don't
0: know, ask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, similar to what you said, yeah, it's about, you know, it's it's about the narratives that are spoken and maybe it's around um, you know, yeah, clearly in terms of what, what you described about presenting um the the positive narratives of, of culture that will perpetuate a situation where those young people might go home to their parents and to speak about pride about their, their ancestry, pride about who they are and things like that. And and you know, linked to this is is around, you know, the, the you know the, the cultural strengths and the resilience of the community. And and can you maybe talk a little bit about that and because you, you know, you you've worked with Aboriginal young people for, for many years. You know, and and whilst we all, you know, we, we often talk about the deficits and the things that the, the young people are really struggling with, but I'm sure that you've also seen a great deal of resilience as well and and, and young people overcome, overcoming some pretty huge challenges.
1: So um, mainly in the out-of-home care sector has been the areas that I've worked in, um, and some juvenile justice, because they sort of go hand in hand. Mm. Um, you know, seeing kids be introduced to language and learning language, um, yes. huge difference in, in things and being able to use language. Just being taught by elders, um, that just sitting around making something and being able to have those conversations whilst you're concentrating on, on something else is, uh, is a big thing. Um, being able to be on country, but also having someone in the family under, so they can understand what country means. Mm. And how they can connect.
0: And what what um, does for for the for you know someone who doesn't know what what does being on country mean?
1: So it's your um, so you're born into a kinship system of a certain area of land. so pre-colonization, it was just you had your areas, there was no fences you just knew.
2: Mm. And
1: so you had this this section of land which was quite big because you had to travel around um, and use. That as your resource for food mm. um, it was uh, you look up to the so, so there's different layers of of country so you know the sky would tell you where you are and what you're doing and you know the wind was another bit of country and then you got water country so all these aspects of country intertwined actually help you live and survive and so you know it, for us um, you might want to call it a motto is if you look after country country looks after you and so that re- respect for the land that we live on it's not just a commodity
2: yeah
1: it's actually um supplies us with everything we need mm. yeah yeah does yeah. that make sense
0: absolutely it's yeah pertainous. and yeah. i suppose that people um who are on country it's where they feel best right?
1: i know i'm really lucky that i work on country i live on country Mm. Um, the Jews were on country so we can sing and dance on country in our own language and there's not a lot of people that can actually um can actually do that um mm-hmm. and uh so yeah, you know dance, i know etc yeah mm. I, I know how lucky i am to be able to um do what i do yeah
0: you know? i guess coming from my perspective as you know the child of migrants to australia and i guess working with um, you know, mo- most of the people that, that I work with or all the people I work with um, come from refugee backgrounds and come from, from elsewhere. Um, do you see any parallels, or, you know, cross narratives pertaining to, you know, the, the challenges of abor- uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people and perhaps those with a, a refugee experience? Yeah,
1: that, um, I guess that, passing down of the the intergenerational trauma, one -hmm. thing. So
0: um,
1: that trying, like, um, how we keep connected to our culture, um, but also, you know, it's not there at the same time. Even though it's our, we're on country, we've had to go and find it because it was taken, you weren't allowed to do it. Mm. They've come to another uh, country um, and they've got to figure out how they still have their cultural norms because culture is what, connects, protects and heals us. Yeah. We need that as part of the healing process.
2: Mm.
1: And how do you take your, I guess, how do you take your culture with you wherever you are? Mm. And actually it's quite um Mandy uh Nicholson, my cousin, who PhD is around how you connect to country off country when you're not on it. And so one example there is by the stars, knowing your knowing how they work and being able to you know, she tells a a good um, uh, story about when she was in the city and, you know, all these buildings, but she looked up and saw the star and she knew what that star was and it connected her immediately back to country. Wow. Um, So how do you take country with you and and have it still in you when you're away? And I think that's a really good concept Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, sort of the refugee community could, how do we practise that and how do we keep it? Yeah. But also remembering that it evolves and you're in a different space. So what's it going to look like in the space that you're in, um, and how do you, how do you keep it going um, in a way that's useful? Um, it, because the other thing is when people, so when we sort of did first ceremony, it was a big, um, it's called Tandem. It was you know all the Kulin Nation, five different nations come together, and it's big. It's a big dance uh, song sort of. Um, you know practice mm. um and i remember i left there just on this it's just so mesmerizing and um you're sort of hypnotic and it's all rhythmic and there's just people everywhere and i left on this high but a week later i was like why do i feel so crap mm. it's because i realized that that was taken from me and i never had that and yeah. i was like then i felt shit and i was like a bit angry so mm. you get that this was taken from me. i never got the chance to go up with this mm. you know it's later in life and then I just had to, you know, reconcile myself with that. But I looked at also, I'm giving my daughter the opportunity to do that at a young age, to keep connected. And I've watched her grow. Um, so she's highly dyslexic mm. and she's quite shy. Um, but I've watched her now sing in language in front of hundreds of people. Um, she goes to school and talks about her emu feather skirt and talks about, you know, will, will introduce herself in language. And, and it's amazing. Like I... To see it happen, um, and to see the strength that and pride in who they are because they're able to practice their culture, um, yeah, it's just amazing. Wow,
0: wow. And I guess you know, young people. I mean, you, you mentioned before around a sense of identity, and particularly when there are a lot of narratives which are thrown at them that might be counter to their own cultural identity, right? How confusing that must be for young for young people and then the responsibilities of people who come up with the curriculum around um, respecting of difference, respecting of culture. And how do you think that's also relevant to people, say, who come from a refugee experience who, um, a lot of the messages that are told to them might be counter to what they've grown up with what they look like and things yeah, like
1: that yeah. yeah yeah because you know if you've got dark skin you know you've seen all those studies mm. like black is bad white is good you know and and so um that self-image of self or that internal working model is already telling you um you know i'm bad or not and, and i'm unlovable and no one likes me and that narrative, yeah, yeah, and that narrative of um, of how you tell a story about a race of people that's not your own mm. is that's a big responsibility for a teacher to have in their hands, and I think it's something that needs to be taken um, really seriously. So I would suggest getting um, books mm-hmm. uh, that you're, you know, um, reading or um, looking at a subject in in like looking at who's in your class and, you know, where are they from and what's the difference? And if I bring a book that someone from their culture has written, it's going to be right, yeah.
2: you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm
1: always introducing books, kids' books by Aboriginal artists or Aboriginal writers into schools because mm-hmm. um, it, it tells a story that reflects them. So it's like how many times you, do I turn on the TV and see an Aboriginal face there? Mm-hmm very rarely unless my oh, now it's better but, but you know growing up it wasn't i can flick to nitv now right no problem mm-hmm. but previously you know you couldn't do that how is your race reflected within community it really mm-hmm. has a big bearing on um how you build your identity and where yeah. you think you fit
0: within the greater cultural narrative yeah. yeah
1: well in anywhere you know you know Aboriginal people are alcoholics, and they're this, and they're that, and you don't—you don't go to school, and you're uneducated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, where did I think I fit? No way. Like, I'm shouldn't even be at school, mm-hmm. you know. And, and yeah. you know, Aboriginal people are dumb. So, okay, we're dumb. on just, you know, then why do I try? You know, there's this, mm-hmm. this narrative around so that people constant.
0: those messages. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's that positive messaging about that you would give anybody, um, and I guess a child with. trauma experience you need to give it more that um that really positive um narrative around Mm. um, their culture and
0: Mm -hmm. themselves yeah so maybe with young people with a refugee experience it's around you know showing narratives of resilience of you know people are survivors they've gone through a great deal and they've overcome you know People who come to Australia. They're hardworking. They're resilient people. Um, yeah, I think it's it's really important and how it can play into the the, the psyche of, of of young people who hear those messages, who then can say, well, you know, I can be successful too. You know, I can give life a great crack. I'm valued. I'm Australian. You know, and and I think that um, I guess I, I just want to ask you this question, and is from my perspective, you know, I. I you know, I'm you know, I um I'm okay to admit that, you know, it, it was confusing growing up, you know, as as a migrant child, someone who's brown, things like that, and and the messages, you know, that they were presented by the media. Also in my association with people at school, being one of the very few people who look like this. And and I can attest that um it, it impacted the way that I viewed my Australianhood in that I, n- I never doubted that I was Australian, but it was conflicted because of those narratives. And, mm-hmm. you know, despite the fact that, you know, I was privileged and I, you know, I went on and I did, you know, I went on to university, you know, I guess I've lived a, maybe a relatively successful life or whatnot, yeah. but there was always that element of, of confusion around my identity. And then you could call that, you know, quite synonymous with someone in a, third culture yeah. identity right and but the time that I felt the most connected to that identity was the time that I lived and worked um, um, in central Australia amongst you know in in on warramungu land and um, with Aboriginal communities and and the, the the sense of welcome and I feel quite emotional to even describe this but the sense of welcome that I received it was At times, it felt that I was being welcomed into the country of my birth, right? I was being welcomed into becoming a true Australian, right? And I guess the question around that is that, you know, do you think that, you know, Aboriginal Australia has a role to play in the healing and recovery and perhaps the welcome of young people with refugee experiences in Australia?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I think one. I think we have to do our own healing first. I mm. think that's a really that's really important. Sure. Um, and and that reconciling of the past to to the present. Um. But I also uh, believe and have seen um that we've done welcome welcomes for, for not particularly kids but families where we've done a smoking and welcomed them onto our country and, and danced and what have you. Oh. Um. And these are the you know. They get it. They get what your country means because they've been forced to leave it.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. And so they get quite. Um, and sorry to say, they but those people the, the people that are involved because um, they're individuals and they um, they become so emotional because they get it and they they miss what um, they haven't had, mm. but also that even though sometimes, uh, particularly one in particular, really. Um, you know, he's just this beautiful man. And he said, I've never been welcomed. I was detained for so long. Mm-hmm. And to have this is amazing. Be either, because this, this is what matters to me. The first people from here had welcomed me to your land. Mm-hmm. And I thought that um, that was truly telling. And and someone someone of a cultural experience or someone that's othered
0: mm-hmm.
1: seems to fit in with the other. You know when you're othered? Yes. Um and you don't fit in. And even, you know, this is our land. It belongs to us, you know. Um, or actually I shouldn't say that. We belong to it. But it's, but it's you know, being removed from us with our, with our culture. Um, we, we get othered. Um, and when you get othered, it's just like, you know, but when you see a, a true cultural experience of what that means, you know, people with another culture can reflect on that. So that's, you know, or... Be moved by it, or feel this sense of um, particularly. You know, when you grow up, you're not feeling like where you belong. Yeah. And then you've gone into this space where you know, and Aboriginal people are welcoming. We bring so many people into our communities. Mm. I just remember growing up, Dad bringing people home all the time. It's always someone else living. You know, and we had six kids anyway. And there's always other other people, and they were the misfits, and they're the ones who didn't fit somewhere, and they weren't had. But that's what the community's about: bringing you in and welcoming you, and you
0: become.
2: Mm.
1: You know we're not all scary
0: of course of course yeah thanks for that um and just quickly like the 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 welcome to countries that you did before you mentioned the detainee so this was done with the group of asylum seekers
1: oh yeah one individual okay. um yeah. at this point but we've done some previously um we uh i can't remember what they're called now but there's a group down here that work Uh, particularly and they have these uh, storytelling nights and so they have uh, the role models tell their story to the rest of either newcomers or people that have um and they tell of their story of success um and generally we'll welcome them and dance um and we're um we're invited to stay as well but they tell their stories of success of when they come over and where they are now and and share those positive experiences it's actually Mm. a really good night so okay
0: thanks for that um I'm also really interested because you're a, um, a an eye movement desensitisation processing um, a practitioner, EMDR practitioner, um, and you've been doing that quite a bit with, uh, with Aboriginal young people. Um, how do you think, I, I just want to know, how, how do you think that it's culturally relevant to young people, um, ex- especially those with trauma backgrounds? And... Um, how also do you integrate this approach um, with, you know, within a cultural model um, and perhaps um, with other traditional um, forms of healing in community?
1: Um, so again, it's about that sense of safety, of how um, thinking about where you do it um, and what that looks like. So having a smoking, um, so I don't just do individual, um, we've learned group work as well. So we'll either do group or individual.
2: Mm. Um,
1: it, I love it because the fact of as soon as someone ta- starts telling their story, generally if there's no healing done, mm-hmm. they're, just, they're just regulated or, um, you know, they, they just can't get through the story or it just comes out. So rather than that, if we can, um, you know, get them to a spot where they can tell their story and become regulated, we can take the sort of heat out of their story. Basically what is you know we'll use something like a possum skin um, and each person will have a possum skin or the individual because that that um, that's a practice for us here um, possum skins and so the but the the texture of it and the feel so being able to use um, that with your hands and brush that whilst you're um, whatever because it just sits on your lap and you can and use it and you rub it and so soft and um, calming and people really connect with that particularly Melbourne mob yeah. um, We'll do a a smoking pre and post. Um, You know, if people want the sense of smell, we've always got gum leaves and if you rub them together, depending on what leaf it is, you'll get a different smell. Um, Symbols, if we're using symbols, we'll make sure that they're uh, generally, um, you know, something of that area. Um, And we'll always invite an elder in to do a welcome. Mm. Um, The first thing is making the place safe. Um, and then resourcing generally, you know, we will either say a place you feel safe, and we know most of our kids haven't got places sometimes they feel safe. Um, and, you know, uh, generally most of them go to a campfire with their ancestors and they create that spot of safety in their, in their head and, um, you know, what? and asking is there anything else we can do that's going to make you feel comfortable and safe in this, in this space, you know. Um, The texture of ochre, bringing ochre in that's from that country. And, you know, there's just all those elements, bringing them into the room. What does that look like? How do you want to use it? Um, Mm. It's endless. Like, you know, people overthink it. Just bring the stuff in and they're going to do what they want with it. They're bringing their culture into that room. I'm just bringing tools to facilitate that. Mm. I think that's the way you need to look at it, not you bringing the culture. But what's going to make them feel safe? And then what sort of resources can you have available that
0: if they want, they can have them. Yeah, yeah amazing. I have a friend um, who's an EMDR practitioner in um, in, in Newcastle and and uh, she's a clinical psychologist and she uses the sounds of the didgeridoo in, in her practice as well. So, yeah, as you said, whatever what, whatever is relevant to the individual and to the group, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, have, have you done much research um, or has there been any research done on some of these um interventions
1: so um not a lot of research and so um i guess um if you think about again you think about your breathing to calm yourself Mm -hmm. uh young boys will get to play the yiddiqui or the didgeridoo getting them to understand that they're breathing and getting to do that that's cultural that's safety Mm -hmm. but also getting them to do that So they they Mm. dysregulate and they bring themselves down. And we had one really good school that had uh, one available. Um, So instead of him getting kicked out of the class and going to the office, the teacher would say, here, go and sit outside. And the whole school knew then that he wasn't doing too well. It wasn't a big school. And they would just let him play. And Mm. imagine hearing that in the background if you're an Aboriginal child in another class, like being... But it was soothing, it was patterned, it was repetitive. You know, you've got the clapsticks as well for the girls. You've got, you know, you've just got all this, yeah. So what is it? And I guess that there's a paper that's in in the middle of uh, writing at the moment and that's around um, the elements of culture that make it protective. Mm. Um, But one of the things I started years ago, and I keep adding to it and I've never finished it and I don't know whether I will, is um, because they don't fund things unless they're, Researched or uh, yeah, got right. evidence, yeah. yeah. And so, taking mainstream clinical evidence and then matching it up with a cultural practice mm. that has the same outcome, you'll actually get funding for. So, yeah.
0: So, a cultural practice that has been going on for thousands of years is only funded when, yeah. Mm fantastic no I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed I'm, and it, it sounds absolutely fantastic and, and I'm you know as you said it's getting some great results is there like a research is there a resource that that I might be able to um, recommend to to people maybe put in the show notes
1: um, yeah there's like health info net and that has you can type anything into that and all research papers and resources will come up it's a really good resource and I'll give you that okay I'll okay. give you that one Um. You know, Google's amazing these days. Um, sure. I, I would also say um, how you introduce culture is about who leads that as well. So it's about you as a practitioner making the connections with the people of that area or, or your, you know, and then are bringing them in to, to lead some of that work. It's like particularly um, with the kids probably you work with, who from their culture can come in mm. That's, that's had the same experience to do whatever yeah. it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It's giving them a sense of, oh, he's come out the other end really well,
2: Yeah,
1: you know, and well, a positive well, yeah.
0: story. Yeah. I think well, one of the beauties about um, the organisation that I work for starts is that a lot of the clinicians themselves come from um, a refugee or migrant background. Yeah. And, you know, often we speak the same language as um, as the, 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 you know, the, the clients that we're working with. Um, and a lot of us might have that cultural knowledge. Some of us might not, but these are things that we can, we can all learn, right? Um, and I guess this is also relevant to, um, to some, you know, non-Aboriginal practitioners. And, you know, I, I generally believe that there's, there's a lot of goodwill. People want to do right, right? Some people want to do right and that sometimes people might not know how, right? And it's because of that fear that prevents them from taking a step to work alongside Aboriginal people or whatever, right? Um, And, you know, I attest, you know, for for many years, I, I, you know, I I didn't feel comfortable to engage in that space because I I lacked the knowledge and, and a lot of it was because I didn't want to make a mistake, you know. Yeah, sometimes a lot of people, are, you know, um, one of the things that might prevent them is is a, a fear of, of making mistakes and doing no harm, right? Yeah. I guess with that in mind, you know, what are some of the ways in which non-Aboriginal people um, can better support our Indigenous brothers and sisters? And I guess perhaps tips for non-Aboriginal practitioners.
1: Yeah. So one, the first thing I'll say is do your own work, Mm -hmm. like do your own work before you come into a space of any culture. So, you know, that um, understanding your own privilege, understanding where you've come from, understanding Mm -hmm. that your morals and beliefs and values could be completely different and how do you leave that at the door? And, uh, you know, because that's that's just going to get people off straight away. Um, Listening because, you know, our mob know and we have the answers And there's some things you're not going to do be able to do and that's that's okay and if you do get it wrong this is the biggest thing if you do get it wrong it's okay because you you had good intent and people generally know that Mm. The point is if you get it wrong and you get told to do it right or you get told no we don't do that most people put it through a lens of oh my god they're calling me racist straight away it's it's the first port of call people's brains go to uh so i'll get into the habit of going I'm just going to tell you because I don't want you to upset. I haven't upset anybody yet, you know, and I, and I, because I still want them to work in the space. Yeah. And so uh, I maybe nurture them too much and my therapist comes out, you know,
2: um,
1: because I don't want them to get growled later by an elder or, or mm. cause more harm to um, somebody else. So it's just being mindful of your place, you know, what is my, if I go into someone else's country, Uh, it's not my place Mm -mm. and then i I, you know i'll probably feel like someone else and i'll be like what can i do what can't i do and particularly uh knowing that i i'll sit down depending on what we're doing i'll sit down with the elder women you know and go through their little uh Mm -hmm. testing bits first but you know listening um Mm. just sitting and listening and um not asking 101 questions at the start like just listen. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Listen and learn, and, and don't yeah. authority in a place that's not yours.
1: Yeah, and I think th- the other thing that I realised when I started um, doing supervisory or managing mm. other clinicians
2: yeah.
1: was that, um, particularly in our culture, and you find it in a lot, is silence. Those silences are okay, you know. And I learnt that of you know um, the elders around me that that time to think about how I'm going to respond is needed. You don't, like we think we're going to get, we've got an hour, we've got to get through this, you know, and, and so answer me. And sometimes, you know, they, we're asking people intrusive questions about their lives. Mm-hmm. Give them the respect to be able to think about that question and how they're going to respond. And I think that's really um, important. Um, and I don't care if I feel uncomfortable while I'm waiting, it's not about me, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And we don't need to feel the silences. So being able to sit in is more powerful sometimes than the words we're going to speak to interrupt the silence. So
2: mm-hmm. fantastic.
0: And yourself, what what do you what do you do to look after yourself? I'm really interested. Oh well, I know I tr- what I try to do. <laughs> <laughs> what steps do you take towards your self-care? And yeah. And I'm really, you-
1: really lucky and i know how blessed and lucky i am that i have the the jury or my cousins we're all cousins so we're all related is that there's not a week goes by where we're not doing something um together and so i'm lucky in that respect so over covid was really difficult really missed that um my daughter and i um will do meditation um and then also physical stuff because i think the body's really important to get the the body uh, moving, mm. um, but we'll go up to um, Heelsville and, and there was a mission there where my my nan was the last woman born that, and that's Corrandeck, and that's a really special place because her birthing tree is there and there's mm. so much history of our mob. Um, that will go up there and, you know, Heelsville Sanctuary on it now, so we go and see, you know, all the animals and, and just enjoy being outside. So,
0: um, yeah.
1: Fantastic. Okay.
0: Thanks so much. Is there anything else that you like to uh, that you like to add?
1: No, that's enough. I think um, I think people will have we heard enough.
0: You or any questions or anything like that?
1: No, no. Look, I just all, all I can um, tell people is do your own work, and then also you know know whose country you're on.
2: Mm.
1: Always know whose country you're on. And there's an app now called Welcome to Country, and it's a, wherever you are, it'll tell you whose country you're on. So, you know, it's easier these days. Um, And particularly where you're working, work with the local mob um, rather than, you know, just make, just reach out and make that connection as scary as it may be for you. Um, Because we can't do it alone. We're only like 4% of the population. We've got the highest rates of incarceration and we've got the highest rates of kids in out-of-home care and morbidity, like the statistics are just horrible. But I think, you know, we can't do it alone and we know that and, and mm. others can't either. And I think all working together, we can Absolutely. Know,
0: start to, yeah. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it and uh, take care.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, I want to sincerely thank Hugh for taking the time to listen to today's podcast. And um, also, thank you for the feedback we've received thus far from people around the world working in this field and um, similarly, torture and trauma survivors themselves. Um, It's a true honor, and we hope that it has contributed some ideas for therapeutic practice or some insight into the healing journey for oneself. I know for me, I learned from everyone I speak to in this field, and it contributes personally on a significant level. Um, I would like to thank Starts for supporting this, and similarly to Brave Media in its support for the podcast as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This episode was produced by Nicole Ler, music recorded by Troy Riley, originally written by R.E.M., a sincere thanks to Eric Avery for the use of his wonderful music too. If you would like, please rate and comment um, on the Hints for Healing podcast on whichever platform you you listen. Um, Yet, of course, that's entirely up to you. Until we meet again, friends, take care and much love.